For those of you guys who I haven't met, my name is Matt Nicola. Um, this is a this is a way I'm serving that's out of my normal role on staff. I get to just, and I mean I get to because I'm grateful to do this a, a few times a year, maybe five or six times a year, uh, bring the the word of God. And, and and one of the reasons I'm grateful to do it is because uh, God has changed my life through through faithful preaching, um, through the word of God, through uh, being challenged, being convicted, being encouraged through the word every single week. So I'm grateful to do that. The guy who normally does that, Steve Diedrich, will be back next week. Um, he's out with all the guys that act like men. He's going to be back to close our series in Acts, uh, like our year-long series in Acts. We've been in Acts since September 11th, I think, of 2016. So we're going to be, uh, the last message in Acts is next week. You're not going to want to miss it, preaching from the last chapter in Acts 28. But today, today we're going to be in the Word of God as well. We're going to be uh, looking at this thing called instructions. We've taken a couple, couple times throughout the year, we've taken some time uh, to look at these instructions. As God is building the church in the book of Acts, we know that there are letters written to these churches, though actually the whole word of God is not just written to one church, right, but written to us today, written to our church today. So we're going to look at God's instruction today, God's command today to do good, to do good. God commands us to do to, to do good. And today we're going to unpack that instruction. We're going to unpack that. And you know, as I was studying uh, where it talks about doing good in the Bible over the last uh, couple of weeks, I'll tell you what, my first reaction was inc- I was encouraged. I, I, I was encouraged. Man, I had problems with this stand at, at 9 a.m. And tell you what, I was encouraged. And the, the reason why I was encouraged um, is because I'm surrounded by a lot of men and women who are doing good. Um, who are doing good. I'm, I'm, I belong to a church um, that's full of people who are doing good as God commands us to do. Uh, but I'll tell you what, not, not, I was encouraged first off, but then, then after a while looking in and kind of seeing the context of, of what God says to do good and how he says to do it, I was, I was a little bit convicted and a little bit like, oh man, we might, I might be missing it here, and we might be missing it, maybe a, a greater purpose and a greater calling to, to do good, to do good. What is, what is the point of doing good? Why does he say it, and why does he say it so often? So, so today, we're going to be kind of trying to look at the full counsel of the Word of God and, and how he says to do good, and then, and then we're going to take that theology, right, that, that knowledge, and we're going to apply it. Okay, we're going to apply that. We're going to have some, some handles on how we can go out and be a church that does good. Sound like a good plan? Like a good plan? All right. So we want, if we want to download God's heart for something, where should we go? God's Word, right? We, we know that. It's pretty obvious. God's Word. God's Word. So we're going to start there. Uh, we're going to go kind of, I'm going to, uh, you don't have to flip to these, but I would write them down so you can go. We're going to just kind of do a, a bunch of verses. We're going to start here. We see this command to do good starting all the way back in the Old Testament. We'll go through a couple Psalms. Psalm 37.3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Ecclesiastes 3.12 says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Isaiah 117 says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead to the widow's cause. We see some of the descriptions of doing good there. Now moving over, over to the New Testament. We see in the, the letter Peter wrote, we see first letter Peter wrote, it says, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We see in 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. 
And lastly, in Paul's letter to Timothy in chapter 6, verse 18, it says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So you're not just taking it from me. We see this all over the Bible, this command to do good, to do good. Um, over 50 times, the words doing good are put right next to each other. Do good or, or doing good. Why, why is it in there so much? So it's clear that this is a command from God. It's clear that it's God's will for us to do good, right? We'd agree. Shake your head if you agree. It's God's will for us to do good. Okay. We just started at a basic level. We see in doing good, there's a trusting in God, a rolling up under God's plan. Okay, submitting myself to the will of God. And Isaiah, Isaiah's a really long book. Have you ever read it? It takes a while to get through a long book, over 55 chapters, I think, in, in Isaiah. 66 chapters in Isaiah. Yep, there you go. And we see, we see in that book, the, in the first, literally the first chapter, at the beginning of that entire book, it says, it says, learn to do good. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless. Right? And we see in the instructions of the church and in the New Testament, we see that, that we should follow God's plan. We are to do good, to be rich in good works. So this, this is our, our first truth to the foundation of doing good. The first truth, kind of getting our, our mind, establishing a firm foundation is it starts with just obedience to God. Okay, Doing good starts with just being obedient to God. Just doing what, what God says. God is good inherently. He's good. He only knows good. So we must start by just being obedient to, to, to God. There's no other definition or source of the word good. Being obedient to the word of God, the spirit of God. When we're disobedient to God, there's no doing good. Okay, There's no alternative means to a good end. Okay, We have to know that. There's only one way, okay, following the word of God, being obedient to God. That's where it starts. Just think about it this, this morning. How, how have you used the word good already today? Just in, in your saying. Good morning, right? Probably said good morning 25 times already today. Maybe, maybe 45, right? How else? We say good evening, good night, right? Good job, good luck. How are you doing? When I, when I get home from work, my wife says, did you have a good day, right? Have a good day. Say good luck, right? All, all these different things. And, and, and I, I, what I'm not saying is when, when I said good morning to Shem this morning, I don't think I was sinful in doing that, okay? I, I don't want to get in the weeds on semantics with you guys, all right? But, but when I say the word good, is it even on my radar, even on my heart, what God means when he says the word good? Are those related at all? Because I shouldn't even be able to utter that word. It shouldn't ever be able to be on my mind or on my heart, the word good, apart from God. Because God is good. That's the source of all of our goodness. And Jesus clearly saw this as an issue greater than semantics as well. In, in Mark 10, write, the, write Mark 10 down. Okay, I'm not going to go there now. But, but in Mark 10, there's a story of, of, of a man. Okay, and the man is, clearly doesn't know who Jesus is, uh, and he wants to know how to obtain salvation, recognizes him as a teacher, and, and addresses him as good teacher. He says, hey, good teacher, how do, I have eternal, how, do I, how do I obtain eternal life? And Jesus, before even answering his question on how to obtain eternal life, thinks it's valuable enough to say, hey, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Because no one is good except for God alone except for God alone. So clearly Jesus wants us to recognize that, that good and God are synonymous. Good and God are synonymous. Starts with obedience to God. Doing good starts with obedience to God. So my two-year-old son, Vinny, he got some uh, superhero pajamas uh, a couple months ago. You can kind of see those. The, the picture's kind of tough, but I'll tell you, there's a bunch of superheroes on there. Okay, we got like 
Batman and uh, Superman and some bunch of other ones, Avengers and all that, okay? So we got those, and he's pretty quick. He's pretty sharp. So over, over the last couple months, he's learned about good guys and bad guys, all right? He's learned about good guys and bad guys. And, and now, since then, he's always trying to, he's kind of trying to bucket, like, like everything into either good guys or bad guys. Like everything's got to be good guys or bad guys, Dad. Right? And you can imagine that Vinny doesn't really keep his discernment to himself. <laughs> right? Like, he's kind of an external processor at the age of two. So Shauna and, and him were in line at, the, at, at Walmart, and, and they were walking, they were about to check out, and there was somebody behind them, and, and I, I wasn't there, but I guess the guy might have been a little rough looking, I'm not really sure. But, but Vinny looked at him, put out his pointer finger, and looked at Shauna and said, bad guy? <laughs> and we could, we could laugh at that, right? We laugh at that, it's funny, there's some humor in that involved. But, but if we think about it, if we think about it, we, we do this too. We do this too. We, we bucket things as good and bad, whether we bucket them based on how we feel, uh, we bucket them based on what the world would say or what other people would say, we bucket them based on how efficient or effective they are. And we do this, we do all of this bucketing, we do all of this discernment apart from what God says good and bad is. So we have to start starting that doing good starts with just being obedient, rolling under what God says rolling under what God says. So doing good starts with obeying God. That's, that's it, just doing what he says. But it's not, that's not just where it ends, okay? It's not where it ends, just an outward action. I do it because he says so, okay? There's a deeper level to this. There's a deeper level. Let's, let's take a look back at the word. Let's look at what, what some of these verses say. Psalm 37, 34, 14 says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 37, 27 says, turn away from evil and do good. Almost the same thing. So shall you dwell forever. 1 Peter 3.11, let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Almost the exact same verse. 3 John 1.11 says, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So we see very, very clearly here what must be included in the doing good is the shedding of sin. Is the, is the shedding of what is opposite of good, what is opposite of God, the shedding of evil, the shedding of sin. Okay, and it's, it's very clear to us in all of those passages, I almost read the same verses over and over because the word of God is the word of God, right? It's consistent, it's equal. I just want to prove to you, make a case to you that, that including in, in doing good is this thing called repentance, okay? Turning away from evil and doing good. That's, that's repentance, isn't it? And, and these passages don't just describe a minor course correction. Like, I was just a kind of a good guy, and I just got my course, you know, kind of corrected to doing good. No, no, no. These passages describe a doing evil to doing good. We must know that, that that's, that's what's natural to us. Natural out of the flesh is to do things that are opposite out of the will of God. So we, in doing good, must, must shed that natural desire and then do good. Do good. So, so God's, it starts with, with being obedient to God and then continues as I am made more godly. Doing good starts with obedience to God and then continues as I am made more godly. We're talking about something even deeper, deeper than action here. At the core of every Jesus follower's life is a complete change of what? Not action, identity. Is a complete change of identity or complete change of your heart, Right? Only after that complete change of identity or complete change of my heart could I then walk in good works. All right, Ephesians 2 is a great place to kind of download the timeline of these events, right? What comes first? 
All right, we'll throw this on the screen. We'll just read a couple verses. Uh, for, for by grace you have been saved through faith and is not your own doing. It's not, it's not anything I did. Good works, me doing good, did not save me. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So so clear here that, that no amount of, of doing good is, is, has anything to do with my salvation. Okay, what did we just sing? We were just singing this, and God just pressed into my heart. We said the cross was enough. That good work was enough for my salvation. Any, my amount of doing good is not adding to that. But now that I've been, been given that, now that I've been made holy 100% positionally, I'm called to walk out that holiness by doing good so I can, I can become godly practically. Does that make sense? That makes sense to everyone? It's really clear. So we're gonna really go after this doing good thing and how to apply it, but we have to know, set in a fo- our foundation, the order of events, that we were made godly 100% by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, okay? We were given that. Our clothes were given to us, okay? But now that th- those clothes are, are on, we're called to walk as the one who gave them to us walks. Make sense? We have to do that, and that's doing good. That's by doing good, all right? And this is astounding. This is, this is miraculous. This is unbelievable. Like, uh, the first time that like we all heard this and we all responded, it was it was the biggest day of our life, wasn't it? Right, the, the day we obtained salvation. But even that, even the fact that that doing good starts with obedience to God and continues as I am made more godly, that's not even the that's not even the pinnacle of doing good, because doing good finishes when God gets all the glory. It finishes when God gets all the glory. That is the greatest. That's the pinnacle of events. That that's that's what we're going for. God getting all the glory. God getting all the glory. So doing good, it starts with obedience to God, continues as I'm made more godly, and finishes when God gets all the glory. In, in, that, in Ephesians, it, it's, it says we were created to do good. And as we do the things we were created to do, God is glorified in us and, and through us. 1 Corinthians 10.31, a lot of you guys know this verse. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. So, so let's hold these truths. We've got to hold these truths as a foundation, and now let's unpack and apply this. We're going to jump into the Word here, because we don't just want to be a church of expert theologians. No? Do we want to be that church? No? I don't think we do. We want to be a church that actually does good, right, and, know, and knows why they do good, right, and, and knows what, what God's heart for is, and, and is doing it in accordance with God's will. So let's go after this and unpack, and unpack it and apply. We're going to spend the rest of our time looking at two passages, all right? And a little different than normal. Usually we just take one passage and really dive in. Uh, but God's word has so much in it about doing good. So we're going to take two. It's a little bit of a challenge this morning. Can we handle that challenge, church? Yes? Shake your head. All right. Two passages. Matthew 9. So flip to Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And then we're going to be in Galatians 6 as well. Okay? Those two passages, I'm going to read them. I'm going to read them both for us. And then we're going to unpack and apply and see these three things I must do to do good. All right. Starting in, in, in verse 35, if you're there, say you're there. All right. And Jesus went throughout all cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, went throughout all, all cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers, underline that word laborers, that means those who do good, are few. Therefore, pray earnestly 
to the Lord of the harvest to send our labors, underline again, those who do good, into his harvest. So it says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send our labors into his harvest. All right, flip. If, if you wanted to count, it's 160 pages to Galatians 6. So flip to Galatians 6. So we're going to see another example of, of a charge to do good here. Paul's charging at the end of this letter back to the church of Galatia. Um, we're going to read, start in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 10. It says, brothers, if, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, okay, that's, he's talking to, to people who are saved. He's talking to the church. You are spiritual, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Okay, so we see there's a, there's a stewardship piece here. There's an accountability piece in doing good. All right, continuing in verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one... For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. Underline doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So there, as we have opportunity, I want you to put a box around that word opportunity. It's a really important word to as we're going to be pressing in. As we have opportunity, let us do good, underline again, to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So I love, see how these passages are connected? Jesus is talking about the laborers onto the harvest and Paul is using an example talking about reaping and sowing. You see how they're connected? Isn't that so cool? All the word of God just goes together like that? I love that. So we see in, in both of these we see in both of these examples we see Jesus in villages and his synagogues his heart drawn out among the crowds meaning the people and, and we see Paul as well charging the, the church charging the church to have a heart to restore brothers and sisters to literally go down and pick up brothers and sisters who are in the ditch and restore them that's what he's charging them to do and he's saying don't grow weary in doing good don't grow weary in doing good so we see our audience for this instruction we see in verse one, it says anyone, if anyone has, and we see in verse 10 in Galatians, it says, um, it says, let us do good to everyone. And then Paul makes a little, little bit of a, a, like an asterisk. He says, let us do good to everyone. And then he says, what? Especially those into the household of faith. All right, we're going to get why, why he's talking about that caveat and what, what that means. We're going to get to that in a second, but let's start with this. We see that doing good, it's impossible for us to do good like by ourselves, like, I can't do good in a vacuum. I must do good in the context of people. I must do good by helping people. We see that always in the Word of God. So the, num the number one thing, the key to getting us going is seeing opportunity. Seeing opportunity. We box that word, opportunity. I must see opportunity. We see in Matthew that it, what this looks like. Uh, we see the diseased, the afflicted, harassed men and women. In Galatians, it's a brother or sister in, in need of rescue. Num the number one thing, the first thing we must do is see opportunities from God to help people. We, we must know that these opportunities are God-given, okay, but they are to help people. Okay, that's what doing good. Doing good, I must see opportunities from God to, to help people. Opportunities are, are positioned by God on the truth that this world is 100% made up of people who don't have it together. 
right? Is that true? It's, this room is full of a room of people that do not have it together, right? Outside those doors, this city of Rochester is made up of a people who don't have it together. And we serve a God who's got it together, don't we? He's got it all together. He's completely sufficient, not lacking in anything. But his people, the people of the world, well, they, they are sure lacking. And so, so doing good starts with seeing opportunities from God to help people. Must know that. Must know that. Look at, look at what Jesus says. Flip back to Matthew. I would, I would just put a finger in each because we're going to be going back and forth, okay? Look at what Jesus says in, uh, in verse 37, in the middle of verse 37. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What is he saying there? He's saying there is no shortage of opportunities, but the ones who do good, there's a shortage of them. All right? He's saying there are no shortage of opportunities. So we're going to be spending probably the most of our time in these three things on this first one, okay? Because if we see these opportunities from God to help people, the other two are going to roll down, down the hill really well, right? So how do we see these opportunities from God to do good? I must see them in, in the weakness of people. I must see them in the insufficiencies of people and myself. I must, I must see them. I must see them in the needs that arise. Let me ask you this question. Are you as overwhelmed by the amount of opportunities to help people as I am? I am overwhelmed. Oftentimes, I feel overwhelmed by the amount of opportunities that there are to, to help people. And, and, and I think some of, we're going we're to talk about that because I'm, I'm, we're not called to act on all of those. We're going to talk about that. But, but are we aware of the amount of needs that are out there that are screaming for our time? are screaming for our attention, are screaming for our energy, are screaming for our money? Because there are a lot of them. There are a lot. And, and, and maybe that's the first, point, first kind of checkpoint we have in this, on the seeing thing is, is, is let's just check our awareness. Because I, I think we are called to be aware. Again, not called to respond to everything, but I think it's really clear in this passage that we are called to be aware of the needs. We see Jesus healing physical things. We see him uh, healing the, the sick, the diseased. Emotional needs, the afflicted, right? We see him healing spiritual needs, sheep, sheep without a shepherd. Called to be aware of these. Because um, it's an expectation for every believer to be aware and ready to help the people that are in need that God brings around them. That's an expectation from page one of the Bible all the way to the end. It's an expectation for every believer. And having tunnel vision and not being aware is not the same as discernment. I think sometimes we think that because we're so laser focused and we have tunnel vision that that's us being discerning. That is not. That is not being discerning. There's a difference there. There's a difference there. We must see these, whether they're in the seat next to you at Kellogg Middle School, whether they're in your own home, next to you at a cubicle at work, we must see this. And yes, sometimes I am the need. Sometimes I am the brother that needs to be restored, okay? I am the guy that needs to be served, needs to be helped, okay? But if I'm always the one who's being served and I don't see any opportunities to help anybody else, if I'm always the one who are getting notes of encouragement in the mail, but I never see any opportunities to send anyone out, then I have an awareness problem. Then you have an awareness problem. We must see opportunities from God to help people. It's a big, a big lie that hinders us in doing good is I don't have any opportunity. That's, that's a lie. It's clear. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus said it. So how do we become more aware? A great way to become more aware is by resting on that foundation, right? 
right? Starting with the, being obedient to God, then, then becoming more godly. As I'm made more godly, my, my, my gaze is widened, okay? I can see more, right? And, and when I know that the end game, it finishes with God getting all the glory, that changes how I see things too. So we must widen our gaze. We must, must be aware. But it's, but it's not just enough to be aware and act on everything. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. Just not enough to be aware and act on everything because then we're going to go a mile wide and an inch deep and we're going to become overwhelmed and we're going to miss that whole purpose that we talked about from the beginning. We're going to miss becoming more godly. We're going to miss God getting all the glory. So what do we do? Anybody ever seen that mov- the movie, uh, the Superman movie that came out like three, three years ago? Somebody? Yeah, one person. All right, good. <laughs> Relevance in church. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so, but you guys know, like, Superman, one of his powers is he can hear other people's thoughts. Everybody know that, right? Come on, people. Man, so he can hear other people's thoughts. Uh, just imagine that. Imagine if you could hear the people's thoughts around you, okay? Like, everybody in this room, if you could hear everyone's thoughts, yeah, it's kind of scary, right? It, yeah, so think about that. And in the movie, okay, Superman, he's in class, he's a boy, and he just all of a sudden starts to realize this power, and all of a sudden he's sitting in class, and he hears everybody's thoughts all at once, Okay? He's overwhelmed, right? He's so overwhelmed that like he can't even respond. He can't even react. He's so overwhelmed that he literally runs out of the room and into the closet and shuts the door. And he's like, I can't even do anything at all, right? And, and I was thinking of that. I was thinking that's kind of how we are sometimes, isn't it? With opportunities. When, we, when we're, maybe we're really aware, but we don't know how to discern or filter them. Like we see all of these opportunities. We're so overwhelmed that we can't even react. So we just run and hide. That's how I am sometimes. We just were like paralyzed by them. But we see over time in, in the movie, we see Superman, what he does, he, he learns not to block those out, but he learns to, to filter them. He learns to filter them and discern what's relevant and what matters in the thoughts that he needs to hear. And that's the same thing we're called to do with opportunities. We're called to, we're called to uh, um, discern. We're called to be aware of all of them, but to discern the ones from God. Rather, remember, see opportunities from God to help people. So which ones are God in? I want to be in the thing that God is in. I want to be doing the thing that God is moving in, right? We, we want to be that. You want to be that. So we must know that. So the other big lie that hinders, hinders us is, you know, we're, we're not only led to believe there are not enough opportunities, but then we're also led to believe that all opportunities are equal. That's not true either. We see that there are opportunities from God that we should respond to. So we see, we see these, this, there are five lenses that help me see how God sees. See how God sees. Number one, number one I need to see, I need, do I have the right purpose? Am I seeing through the right purpose? Right purpose. Um, I, I think th- this one, we really covered a lot. We spent a lot of time on this one, the foundation, right? Obedience to God, becoming more godly. And then what's the end game? God getting all the glory, right? That, that's, that's the overall purpose. So is this opportunity, is this opportunity something that's going to make me obedient to God? Is this something that's going to make me more godly? Is this something that at the end of it or during it or all the way through it is God getting all the glory, right? That's, that's the purpose. So do I, do, I have, do I have the right purpose? Uh, do I have, number two is, do I have the right priority? Do I have the right priority? So flip, flip back to Galatians 6, Paul, Paul says at the end, so, so, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And then he says this, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Why does Paul say that? Why does Paul say, why, especially those who are in the household of faith? I think it has something to do with this priority thing, the priority. What's the mission of Harvest Bible Chapel? Brandon, what's the mission of Harvest Bible Chapel? 
to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So the, pur- the purpose, the greater purpose is to glorify God. And our priority to do that, the highest good of doing that is making disciples. When we make disciples, God is glorified. And what has God given the, the earth to make disciples? It's the primary context to make disciples, the church, the church. So we see Paul saying, hey, do good, especially to those in the household of faith, not because we're called to be a holy huddle, Okay, that's not why he's saying that. He's saying that because I've given the church as the primary way to make disciples to do the purpose that I was talking about. So don't overlook doing good in the church when, when I've given you as that as the primary vehicle in, in, in accomplishing my purpose. Does that make sense? Do we get that? I think we get a little bit sideways on why would I want to do, you know, these are all people that are already saved. No, the, the mission is to make disciples, to glorify God. And God has given us the church. That does not mean that we shouldn't do good outside the church. That's not what he says, do good to everyone, but especially in those of the household of faith. We cannot trample over our brother and sister to go and reach the lost when, when there are needs inside the church to meet. We, we have to know that. We have to know that. So do I have the right purpose? Do I have the right priority? Number three, do I have the right proximity? Do I have the right proximity? Um, in, in both of these passages, we'll start in, in, in Matthew 9, we see Jesus, he, he went out. It says he went out. He was among the people. He had to be close to them to know that they were afflicted, to know that they were diseased, to know that they were sheep without a shepherd. How would he know that? Right? How would we know how people are if we weren't close to them? We have to be in proximity to them. In, in, in Galatians, we see Paul say, you know, if anyone is caught in a transgression, how would I know that they were in a transgression if I were not in proximity with them? I must be, I must be close to them. I must be near to them. We have to be in proximity. That's the third lens. Do, do I have proximity to them? You know, because I, I think sometimes I, I, I and, and you be convicted about this on your own, but sometimes I, I white knuckle my own will into a manufactured, manufactured version of a God opportunity and I jump across places and people to chase a desire at, over, in my own heart. And, and that's just me. And, and that's just me. But, but we, we cannot manufacture those things. Do I have the right proximity? Do I have the right proximity? Number four, do I have the right confirmation? How many of you guys thought that fourth one was going to start with a P? <laughs> Raise your hand. You all thought that it was going to start with a P. Do I have the right confirmation? Confirmation. Um, is this opportunity, has this been confirmed by the Word of God? Has it been confirmed by the Spirit of God? Has it been confirmed by godly counsel of brothers and sisters? You guys, a lot of times, like, God presents us opportunities. Like, I'm talking opportunities now that are going to take, like, time, week after week, uh, year after year, lots of resources and dollars. And we, like, respond to them without even telling the people that are closest to us. That is craziness. That's craziness. We must be confirmed. In Proverbs, it says, in the counsel of godly men, there is safety. There's safety. You must have the right confirmation. Now, sometimes, you know, sometimes we just have to rely on the word and the spirit, right? Like, it, for example, if I'm in the line at Costco, okay, and the, the lady in front of me, her credit card gets declined, you know, and she's got a bunch of kids running all over the place. Like, I'm not going to, like, go up to the Costco cashier and be like, could you hold on a second? I'm waiting for a text back from my small group leader to give me a green light. I'm paying for this. Like, we're not going to do that, right? We're just going to respond because it's confirmed by the word of God and the spirit of God that this is a good thing, that this is the right purpose, that this is the right, I, I, can, I know that. But anything I'm talking about that's going to be a week after week, thing after thing, it should be confirmed by, by godly men and women as well. All right, you get the point. Last lens, right giftedness. Do I have the right giftedness? Um, this, is, this is important. Uh, 
We, we see a, a, a giftedness talked about in the Bible in, in a couple places. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12 and, and Romans 12. But sometimes we elevate giftedness over purpose and priority and proximity where the, God's word talks a lot more about his purposes and his priority than it talks about my gifts. Is that true? Right? So we have, this has to be the last lens. Do I have the right gift in this? Because here's what happens, and I am, I've done this, okay? So I'm talking from experience. When I put my giftedness as, as the first lens, what I am is now going around, I'm just out there in the world looking for opportunities to match my giftedness with, with meeting a need. And I call that the hero ditch, okay? You start playing the hero. You know, I start forgetting that I'm an insufficient man called by a sufficient God to help insufficient people. He, he gets out of the, the whole equation when I start doing that. I, I must look at giftedness at, at, at the end. So first I need to, is it the right purpose, the right priority, the right, is it, has it been, uh, is right proximity, has it been confirmed? And then, and then giftedness. Because if those first four are true, then we know it's a go, okay? Giftedness tells us if it's me or not. Because I might not be the right person, but it's a worthy opportunity. So I might grab Phil, who's gifted a little differently than me, and he can go. And you know what the sweet part about this is? If we start in that order, if we start in that order, then it doesn't, it's not about who's doing it anymore. Right? It's not about who's meeting the need or who's helping people anymore. It's, it's about God getting the glory. We're, we're that open-handed. So we must know that. We must, we must do it in that way. But giftedness is still important, right? Giftedness is important. Um, I'm, not, uh, I'm not particularly gifted at singing. Um, you know, so there are, I have opportunities sometimes. Uh, I do weddings. I like to do weddings. Uh, uh, and, you know, I'm in a, in a conversation with a prospective husband and wife, and we're talking about planning the service. And uh, they're like, hey, we want to do worship, you know, in the, in the service, right? We want to do worship. And I'm like, hey, that's an opportunity to do good, right? I'm, so I'm thinking in my mind, I'm like, all right, Right purpose? Yeah, I think so. Right priority? Yep, definitely. Right proximity? I think so. Confirmed? Yeah, definitely. The word of God says worship is a good thing. So, and then, but then if I miss that giftedness piece, all of a sudden I, I'm just up there and then I don't think they want me singing at their wedding. They definitely don't. You don't want me singing at your wedding. So what I'm going to do after that fourth one is I'm going to take them and I'm going to walk them across Harvest Church office right into the office of Brent Thomas who has that gift. Make sense? So that's a go. So we must go through those lenses of, of giftedness. We're called as men and women of God to respond, to be ready um, when, when, to do good. And we must discern these things by, through these lenses. So we must then respond and, and meet needs. So, so number two is responding faithfully to God by meeting needs. Not only seeing opportunities from God to help people, but then responding faithfully to God responding to God by meeting needs. So look in the, the last verse of, of Matthew 9. It says, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers into his harvest. So we're his laborers working by his power in his harvest. How silly would it be for us to have a response in any other direction than his? And you guys, this is like the whole, the whole message right here. Okay, because we're going to have like at the end, like uh, we'll have some opportunities for you to do good. It's our job as a church to discern and equip you to do good. So we're going to have opportunities in the church and outside of the church for you to do it. But if our response is just horizontally, is just because Matt said so or because other people like, I'll be guilty if I don't or whatever, stay in your seats. Okay, stay in your seats. Our response must be to God to meet needs. 
so clear. What, look at the, those verses. Go back to Galatians 6. It says, for whatever you sow, you'll reap. If we sow to the flesh horizontally in this world, we're going to reap corrupted horizontal garbage. That's basically what it says, right? If we sow to the Spirit, if we sow vertically, then we will reap vertical eternal life. We will reap permanent things. It's so important that we respond vertically. Doing good is all about Him. If we skip this first part, we skip this part, what, what does, what, what's that second point without responding to God, right? If, if we just respond by meeting needs and, it, and the focal point becomes the needs or becomes helping people, then I, you know what? The nasty truth of that is this. Um, many times, the people that we help or things that we do are left relatively unchanged after we serve them. Like that, that's a hard truth, but that's true. Like, a lot of times the good that we do, and I'm, that doesn't mean we're not called to do it, but the good that we do, what, what the result of it is, is often maybe received even ungrateful or unappreciated, but often it's, not, it's relatively unchanged. It's the same. It's still weak. It's still insufficient. So then doing good at some point, at some point always just is going to become about me. It's just going to become about me. Doing good is going to become just about uh, being the hardest working, being the most effective, getting the most acclaim, having the most influence. That's what's going to come about. It always leads to that. All of that is nothing. We must respond to God in doing good, in meeting needs. We, and, and you know what? Those who respond to God, those who serve out of an act of worship vertically to go horizontally, those are the ones that meet real needs week after week, that help real people week after week. Okay? Those are the ones who, that are responding to God. So God is not desperate for reinforcements. He's not lacking in any need or help. But guess what? His people are. His churches are full of a bunch of people who are. So we must respond faithfully to God by meeting needs. When we respond, how do we respond? What do these needs look like? Well, we, see, we see Jesus respond in both word and deed. It says he's preaching, he's teaching about the kingdom of God, proclaiming the gospel he was doing. So he was, he was responding in, in word, right? He was, he was sharing the gospel. That's, that's doing good. And then we also see the response in deed, okay? We see him healing the afflicted. There was a physical sacrifice to get out and among the diseased, to get out and among the afflicted, to get out and bear up under the burdens of one another. There's a physical deed sacrifice that we're called to as well. So responding in both word and deed. All right, so we're going to, again, I said we're going to have some opportunities at the end of the service as we close for you to do that, okay? Uh, both inside the church, I would say start there. If you're not serving at all anywhere right now, great place to start. Remember Paul, especially in the household of faith, some opportunities inside the church, some different ministries, production and worship, harvest kids and harvest students, um, welcome ministries, okay? We have some needs, okay? Because we're people, we're insufficient, right? God is not, just because the church has needs does not make God insufficient, okay? So we respond. And then we're gonna have over here on this side, we're gonna have some needs, we're gonna have some ways for you to help people and respond faithfully to God outside the church through Harvest Compassion. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about Harvest Compassion up front, so I, I, I thought this would be a good week to kind of just talk about that for a little bit, um, so the first like three or four years at Harvest, I'll, I'll just go back to that. First three or four years at Harvest, like if you go to any party with the pastor or any like new event, the question that comes up every single time without, without exception is what do you guys do for missions, okay? Everyone asks that. And that, that's a good question, okay? I'm not saying it's not a good question, but what do you do for missions? 
And, and this was, and I love Steve's heart for this, and, and, God, and I think it's God's heart for this, um, is he would say, hey, we, we do not want to be a church that's full of ministries, full of programs, full of things that we can just do, because what that does, if we're just adding programs, it waters down the purpose, it waters down the mission. So we really, really were against that. We, didn't want, we knew we didn't want to do that. And, and through all this, know that we're not a perfect church, and there's, there's a lot of grace here, but I'm just telling you what God's done, Okay. So, so through that, we did that. So we were very much like, so this is what Steve would say. He said, you know what? This is what our mission's philosophy is. We're going to feed the people faithfully by the word of God, by community through small groups, and we're going to get them healthy. Okay? God is going to get them healthy. God is going to fill that up, them up. And out of that abundance, out of that abundance of being filled up, we're going to have people that are able to do good. We're going to have people that are healthy enough to invite their neighbors to church, to share the gospel, to tell, talk about what God is doing in their life because God is doing something in your life. And guess what? That is still what we want to do. We're not walking away from that. But now as God has grown our church and by his grace made us healthy and growing and we're doing that, God has now given us some opportunities, some kind of package things, some opportunities that we can walk alongside and do good in our city and around our world. Okay, and that's through Harvest Compassion. So these are our compassion partners. So we're like, okay, now what are we going to do? We're going to establish all these ministries. Are we going to, you know, all the administration to do that? No. Why wouldn't we just come alongside faithful men and women who are already doing this, who are doing the same purpose, that same priority? We looked. Those five discernment things, the, the five lenses, those are the things we used to figure out if which ones of these we're going to do. So you can see Friendship Place uh, serves Southeast Minnesota, serves a, a, a community of people um, that, that need help that often can't speak English, that uh, need help tutoring, um, um, younger people, middle school, high school, college age, uh, Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, um, restoring uh, men and soon-to-be women in this city um, who have an addic addiction problem, restoring them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, making disciples in that, in that area. New Life Family Services, again, making disciples using the gospel of Jesus Christ to um, stand on and proclaim the authority of life, of life, of firm life, um, making disciples in that, in that area, navs, navigators, making disciples in the college students in this town, okay, going after that, okay, and, and lastly, next chapter ministries, restoring men and women with the gospel who've been affected by crime, both men and then their families as well. All of these people, all these people operating, making disciples in their certain areas. And we feel called, we've been called to come alongside of them as compassion partners in our city. So you're going to have some, an opportunity to respond. I encourage you to, even if you're not sure which one of these you would like to be involved with, I would just come down and, and ask some questions. Figure out, hey, where, what's some opportunities both to individually serve and then we're serving a lot through small groups. We do a lot of this through our groups. We're called to serve together. All of these organizations have opportunities to serve as groups as well. So those are on our website. You can get some more information down there as well. So we're called to respond in both word and deed. We're called to respond with, with urgency, all right? With urgency, write this down. With, with urgency. We see Jesus say, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. What he's saying is, is that be urgent. There's a plentiful harvest out there. The laborers are few. There's some urgency to this. You know, I think of our worship and setup teams who get up out of bed at 5 a.m. They're little earlier probably, okay? And they come here and they turn a, a school into a church, okay? There's some urgency in that because they know how much it matters because this is the place that the glory comes down. It matters. We need, we need to, to serve and respond with compassion. 
with compassion. Jesus says, says I have compassion for them because they're sheep without a shepherd. You can go read Matthew 25. It's a great place. It talks about the least of these and having a heart with compassion. We need to respond with humility. Man, this one, I, I wrote this huge in, in my Bible. We need to respond with humility because only by the grace of God am I sitting on the side of ta- this, the table that I'm sitting on, right? It's only by the grace of God that I'm the one meeting the need and not in need this time, Right? This time, only by the grace of not. not. Not because of choices I've made, decisions I have, the family I grew up in, the church I'm in, only by the grace of God. That's true humility. We must know that. We must respond with humility. And lastly, we must, must respond with ownership. We must respond with ownership. Continuing and finishing well, even after the shininess of the opportunity goes away, we must respond with ownership and completeness, completing it through to the end because, because it matters. Because it matters. So even if, even if I see, and all this to be said, even if I see an opportunity perfectly, all right, I hit all those lenses out of the park, okay? I see it perfectly, and I respond perfectly, even so, even if I did those first two things exactly right, I am still completely dependent on God to show up for anything permanently good to happen. That's the truth. God has to be in it. God has to be in it. So that's, that's, that's number three, is, is I must believe firmly in God to change lives. I must believe firmly in God, not only seeing opportunities and responding to those opportunities, but I must believe firmly in God to change lives. Verse nine, verse nine in Galatians, verse, chapter six, verse nine, says this, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know, weariness in doing good comes when our belief in God to move is lacking. Weariness comes when our belief in, in God is, is lacking. So I, I, look, I look out, and like, like I said at the beginning, like I was encouraged when I was reading about doing good because there are a lot of people that are doing good in this church. So I look out at, at many of you, and, and, and through many, much of this message, you're probably like, yeah, I am doing that. I'm, I'm being encouraged. But, but maybe you're weary. And if you're not weary today, you will be weary one day. You will be weary, okay? It's a product of the brokenness of this world that you will be weary. And, and Paul charges us, do not be weary. So I charge you, do not be weary in doing good. Do not be weary. You know why? You know, you know what we have? Because guess what? Weariness for a life of a, of a follower of Jesus Christ is temporary. It's a temporary thing, people. I, I, read, I read the back of the book. I read Revelation in 21 and 22. You should too. Go read Revelation 21 and 22. You go read that. There's no weariness on those pages. Like there's no weariness in the eternity that we spend with God. So what, the things that are temporary, we can do those things, can't we? We're not, we're not going to be weary. We're not going, going to be weary. So I know those. I know some of us are weary in here. Maybe, maybe you've been following God's command to do good and you've been serving in the nursery week after week, every other week. Um, Probably not one time has one of those babies looked at you and been like, God has really used you in my life. <laughs> Probably hasn't happened to you, right? I'm just guessing, right? And I, I, look out, I look out at some of you guys who are serving, I, I know outside the church with some of our compassion partners, people like Marie and Hannah, and I know the types of, the, the types of people that you're working with and the types of situations that you're in. And, and oftentimes you do a lot of good and you pour a lot of time and, and you pour a lot of resources and effort and you do a lot of good and sometimes those people just walk away. They just walk away. That's a recipe for weariness, isn't it? 
So, so when Paul says, let us not grow weary in, in well-doing, that's what he's saying. That is, that is temporary, that we respond to him, that we believe firmly in God to change lives. Because this is the truth, that sometimes God brings lasting change to the people that I serve. But always in my doing good, God brings lasting change in me when I do good. Always. Always. So I believe firmly in God to change lives, starting with my own. Let's not miss this application to, to deepen our belief. We, we, we can't miss it. So I, I, we close with just, just taking another look at, at what his word promises and how those have been made real in our life. We must first see opportunities like that. See opportunities from God as he shows itself in the life of people and then respond faithfully to those needs. We must do that. Must do that. I want to get you started right now. Uh, as, I, as I pray, we're going to have some people come down um, some of our, our leaders in the church that ha- want to get you connected to serve in some of the ministries uh, that we have welcome, um, Harvest Kids, Harvest Students, they're going to be on this side. And then and then we're going to have people from our church that are our compassion coordinators and representatives, uh, some opportunities for you to connect outside the church as well. Um, respond urgently. Respond with compassion and with humility. Um, but 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 come, respond. Maybe if you're, you're serving already, you're, you're connected uh, in the church and you're committed, maybe you just come down and say, all right, how can my small group do a, do a serving night this, this summer? You come down, all right? Maybe you're like, I have a little more time. I got a little more, I have a little more energy. Which one of these compassion ministries am I gifted for? Am I, am I called in for? Come down, come down, respond to that, okay? Because, because the harvest is plentiful, all right? And, and the laborers are few, and I'm grateful that I get to do life with a lot of laborers. I'm grateful that I get to do life with a lot of people that are doing good. Let me pray. Father, uh, grateful, Lord, for your word, for your perfect word, your perfect spirit, which convicts us, which calls us, um, which calls us to action, which calls us to do good. Grateful for the, the one good deed that mattered, that matters the most, Jesus and his work on the cross. Grateful that 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 good deed, that that good work would would allow me to walk in in the good works you'd call me to, Father. And grateful for this this church and the people that are doing good, that are serving. God, would you would you have your hand on them and protect them and uh, keep them from weariness, God? And those that are idle, those that maybe haven't found their right spot yet, God, I ask that you would just press into them with the full amount of urgency, with the full amount of need, with how much it matters. Would you get them out of the seats? Father, that they could respond and they could be used in a way that they were being obedient to God, that they were being made more to look like you, God, and they were allowed to be front row to your glory, God. Please, God, would you open our eyes? Would you grow us in awareness and seeing these opportunities, Father, and would we respond faithfully to them? And in it all, would you increase our faith that we would firm our beliefs, that we would firm our foundations, that you're able to change lives, You are completely, starting with our own, starting with my own, Lord. Would you strengthen our faith this morning? In your honor, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.